Uh, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to actually be jumping around a good bit in the book of Proverbs today. Uh, but the theme we are going to be talking about is wisdom at work. And as you know, over the summer, we started out at the beginning of Proverbs talking about what is wisdom? What is the way of wisdom? What does it mean to walk in God's wisdom? And that's our goal, that in every area of life, especially the area of work, that we would walk in God's wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but when you meet somebody, usually there's a there's one question that, that's the first question you ask somebody every time. And what is that? Anybody? What's your name? What's your name is usually the first one. The second one almost, sometimes the second one precedes the first one, and that is, what do you do? Where do you work? And so, uh, you know, if I were to walk around with a microphone and just ask everyone in this room, what do you do or where do you work? I know we have people uh, who are in the medical field, education field. We have people who do electrician, electrical work or used to do electrical work. Uh, we have welders. We have culinary people, architecture people, coaches, finance people, people involved in shipping and logistics, people who do the arts as a living, plumbers. Etc. Fill in the blank. There's a lot of different occupations in this room. But I find it so interesting that that's one of the first questions we as humans ask each other. What do you do? It's kind of like we measure each other by the work that we do. It's the one of the most important things. And so I want to propose to you this morning that what if that's the wrong question? What if that's the wrong question? Because, because I think what we see in our society today and it's no different with us here in the church, is that sometimes what you do, what you do as work can become an idol, right? It can become your identity. It's the most important thing about you. In fact, you don't even know if you could survive without it. And so whenever there's something in your life that you can say that about, there's a good chance that you've put it on a pedestal and it might be a little too important to you. An idol, and you know, these days we, uh, at least here in this church, we would say, I don't know anybody who bows down and actually worships an idol, like you see in the picture behind me. And yet I would say work is one of those things that can crawl up on the pedestal really quickly, and we are quick to bow down and worship our work. So this morning I want us to look at, uh, at God's view of work as he presents it in Proverbs. But before we do, there's also one other thing that can be an idol, and that could actually be rest. In fact, sometimes we work and work and work so that we can hopefully rest. So then you have two idols. Today, we're not going to be talking about uh, as much about rest. Uh, Proverbs actually doesn't speak to that as much, but the rest of Scripture does. We're going to hint at it a little bit. But just know this. God wants us to see this morning that no matter what it is that you do with your time, whether you're retired whether you're employed, God says your work is valuable to him. And the way that you do it reflects on him and helps you serve him. Martin Luther said that the farmer shoveling manure and the milkmaid milking her cow please God just as much as the minister who is preaching the word or praying. In my case, I do both of those things, okay? I have a farm. But seriously, whatever job you do, God says your job pleases him no matter. It, it's not like uh, pastors and teachers have a higher priority in God's mind. So this morning, instead of asking where do you work or what do you do, I want us to ask three better questions. You have them in your bulletin. If you're with us online, welcome. We're glad you're here. And you can find our bulletin on our website. 
But three questions that are a little better, I think, and Proverbs helps us to answer these. And so the first question, question number one is, why do we work? Why do we work? Not what do we do for work, but why do we work? You know, I know as I stand here in front of you and and some of you online who are watching, uh, some of you are retired. Uh, I also know this, some of you are between jobs and you're not working right now. I also know some of you uh, or some who will hear this message someday are physically unable to work. And so I'm sensitive to that. And I also want you to know that these questions and the answers to these questions actually, I think, apply to any circumstance that a person finds themselves in. No matter what kind of work God's called you to do at this season of your life, even if it's retirement, uh, know that God wants us to answer these questions faithfully and in wisdom, uh, regardless of your circumstances. So the first question, like I said, is why do we work? And if you read the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is actually, uh, the thing you love about Proverbs is just the simplicity that Proverbs puts out in front of you. And so Proverbs says that there's a really simple answer to this question. Why do we work? To provide. Okay, God has given us work as the method of providing for our physical needs. And we see this in a powerful way in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. So follow along as I read these verses. It says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So I love these verses. It points out that really vivid picture of an ant to give us a a picture of what work looks like, what a diligent worker looks like. And I still remember uh, as years ago, I was teaching through Proverbs with a group of friends, other guys. I can't remember if it was seminary or in my previous church. And so we were assigning who got what week. And one week, somebody taught on, uh, on hard work. And somebody, and the next week was set to be the sluggard. And so the guy who got assigned that one got real self-conscious about why did they assign that one to me? But if you think about it, uh, in the book of Proverbs, in fact, if you read through it, you don't see a lot of times where it describes here's what the hard worker does or here's what the hard worker is. Instead, it talks a lot about the opposite of a hard worker, and that is what we call the sluggard. Uh, and as you know, Proverbs is a book of contrasts, and so you have the wise and the foolish. And so when it comes to this discussion, you have the hardworking and you have the sluggard. And so God says, I want you to fall into that category of wise, to be one who does his work or her work in the way that God lays it out. And so he gives us this example of an ant. A couple thoughts before we jump off of that. This vivid word picture. Ants are known for just working ceaselessly, right? You've seen the ants in your house marching across your counter, hauling away your food, right? Those crumbs and bits of food that you've left behind. And uh, I looked up some stuff this week. It said that ants can carry 20 times their own body weight, 20 times their own body weight. So that means like a second grader could pick up a car and carry it on their back. Or again, back to farm boy terms, that would mean I could carry four large round bales of hay and just walk out the door with them, okay? That's unthinkable, but that's how hard they work. So they're held up as this example of hard work. 
Another thing that's interesting about ants is they actually have no ears. Can you believe that? They have no ears, so they communicate through vibrations. And one of the things that these verses point out to us is that uh, it says, without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. So this is just a little word picture, a little example of what it means to work. And why do we work? It's to provide. That's what these ants are doing is providing for their colony, providing for themselves. The bottom line of this little section of Proverbs is this. If you work, in general, you will have what you need. This is the way that God's designed for you to get what you need. And if you don't work, if you sit around, then you might lack. Now, that gets a little touchy, right? Especially for people who've lost a job or maybe who are unable to do a job. And so what we know is that God has given each person a different type of work to do. And God says, do the work you're able and, and the necessity of work is there because we have a need to provide for ourselves, knowing that God will provide. Now, here's an interesting thing. We say the purpose of work is to provide, to provide for our physical needs. That's why we have to go out and find a job, or if you're unable to find a job, uh, somehow to find a way to provide. But did you know that's not the original design that God had? Okay, God actually did design for humans to work. In fact, so look at uh, Hebrew, uh, I'm going to show you the verse from Genesis 2.15. This is right after God created man in the garden, the Garden of Eden. This is what God said. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so you say, wait a minute, Marcus it says before sin ever happened, God gave man work. That's absolutely true. But I want to tell you before humans sinned, Work was actually different. It wasn't for the purpose of providing or survival physically. Because uh, when we look at those words and really the structure of that verse of Genesis 2.15, uh, the words work and keep. You could translate as the word work as serve. Uh, you could also translate the word keep as uh, guarding or obeying. And the other thing about those two words, work and keep, Those are the same two words that are used throughout the Old Testament for what the priests of God are supposed to do. And so God's original design for his people was that, yes, they should work. Yes, they should serve. But they were designed to be uh, to, to lead people to God, to be spiritual guides, spiritual servants, to preserve the way to God. Because originally God had unbroken fellowship with his people. And he said, I want you to work and serve and, and, uh, and, and to do it that way. So it was more of a spiritual task. Don't want to make too big a deal out of that, but we do know clearly that things changed in Genesis chapter 3. When the snake came to Eve and said, here's some delicious fruit. Wouldn't you like to eat it? Did God really say you can't touch that fruit? Why don't you just have a bite? And so she goes against what God did, and she eats it, she gives some to Adam, and then the entire world changes because of sin. And after that, God says in Genesis three seventeen through 19, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So you return to the ground for out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust. You shall return. See what we see in Genesis two and three is that physical work actually becomes necessary uh, to provide for physical life. 
uh, prior to the fall, prior to sin, God said, take care of the garden. But what did they have to do, right? God had watered it. God produced the fruit. Whatever it was they were doing, it wasn't the same as pulling weeds uh, and, and what they have to do after the fall. So physical work is necessary in a broken world in order to provide, in order to live. We all know that. You have to work in order to survive. It keeps us occupied. But here's the beautiful thing. If you read to the end of the story, the book of Revelation, you realize in Genesis we start with a garden, and in Revelation we end in a garden. The, the tree of life by the stream, by the river of, by the river of living water, God says, I'm restoring all things. And so when we think about our work right now, many of us struggle with work. We work hard. Some of us sweat and toil with work. It helps us to look forward to that rest that we will enjoy in the future when we serve the Lord and when we keep his commandments for all eternity. So why do we work? Proverbs tells us it's to provide like the ant provides for her colony. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, again, the New Testament reinforces this. It says you have to work in order to survive. It says this, We would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Elizabeth Elliot says, work is a blessing. God has so arranged the world that work is necessary, and he gives us the hands and strength to do it. So work has actually always been a part of God's creation. It changed after the flood. The earth was cursed, and therefore now we have to work harder in order to provide. And yet God has always designed us to do work, his work. And part of that work now is to survive. So the New Testament teaching is that we, and in the Old Testament, is that we are to work in order to live. But as we said earlier, sometimes we get that backwards, don't we? Some of us start living in order to work. And we think that the work that we do is the most important thing about us. But no, God says work is something I give you so that you can live. So that's the first question. Why do we work in order to provide? And so a couple of follow-up questions on that that I would just say jot these down if you get a chance. But think about it. Who in your life, for whom are you providing? Whether you're working or retired, who is it that God wants you to provide for through your work your current work or your past work? Who do you want to provide for? Well, you know that's for yourself, your family. And then what we see actually in the book of Proverbs, we're not going to talk about this today, but there's a huge theme of generosity. You work, you produce things, you produce income and wealth so that you can share it with others who need it. That's part of God's design as well. So for whom are you providing in your life today? Because that's why we work. Second question is, what are you providing? You know, some of it's very basic, right? You work so that you can buy groceries or you can pay your mortgage, uh, whatever it might be. That's why you work. But also your work is actually providing something. Uh, many of your jobs actually produce things. And so to think about that, um, yes, your work provides sustenance. But in many ways, a lot of your work provides beauty for the world, things to enrich life. And then the last question I would ask is we think about working in order to provide for our needs is, are you depending on God to provide? You're saying, wait, hold on, Marcus. Didn't you just say I'm supposed to work to provide? The answer is yes, you are supposed to work to provide for your needs. That's the way God designed it. But remember, 
when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, when he taught us how to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, we trust that God is the one who provides our daily bread. In the mind of God and in the mind of Jesus, if you read through Scripture, I don't think they anticipate, God doesn't anticipate us just sitting back on a chair and saying, give me my bread, God. He says, I'm going to provide. And yet work is one of those things in this world that God requires of us to do in order to provide for our physical needs. So it's necessary in order to provide. Here's a question for you. If you think about this, the only perfect human being who ever lived and worked was Jesus. So why did Jesus work? In fact, if you think about this, when people walked up to Jesus, I don't know if in first century uh, AD people did the same thing. Like, what's your name? My name's Jesus. What do you do? Where do you work? What would Jesus say to answer that question? What do you say? I'm a, I'm a carpenter. I don't think that's what he said, is it? In fact, we have him recorded in Scripture saying some other things. Uh, it'd be an interesting conversation piece. He actually says, I have come, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. He knew he was doing God's work. So why did Jesus work? The answer is to provide. To provide something entirely different than physical sustenance. You know, we share communion We're eating bread. We're drinking from a cup. You need food and drink in order to survive physically. But those things remind us that we actually have a greater need. We have a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst that's killing us. It's called sin. We are sentenced to death because of sin. Scripture tells us that everyone in this room was born sinful and we've willfully chosen to commit sins. And therefore, we deserve death. What does Jesus say? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To provide a way out. To provide what we call salvation. He saves us from that dilemma. That's the work he did. He provides a way out. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, So that no one can boast. Did you catch that? It's Jesus' work that saves you. That's what he came to do. That's why he worked. Was so that he could save us. He worked to provide forgiveness. Which gives us eternal life. A relationship with the God who created you forever. That's why Jesus worked. That brings us to question number two. How do we work? And we're going to ask that same question about Jesus. How did he work? How do we work? Well, in Proverbs, again, it's a pretty simple answer. The answer is with diligence, okay? With diligence. And if you've heard that word diligent, when's the last time you used that in a common conversation? I'm going to guess not very recently, if ever. It's not a word we we say much. Oh, she's been diligent this week. Uh, It's just not something we say. And so we need to talk a little bit about what this word means. We see it uh, occurring multiple times in the book of Proverbs, but it's captured uh, here in 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 chapter 24 of Proverbs. So turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. I'm going to read these verses. But again, this word diligent is set up as a contrast with the person who's a sluggard. Here's what it says. I passed by the field of a sluggard. By the vineyard of a man lacking sense. 
and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked, and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. You know, every year, we actually travel to the Smoky Mountains to go camping as a family. And so one of the things we love to do is take hikes, or if you've ever been there and gone to like Cades Cove, uh, you can see these old rocky, uh, Smoky Mountain farms that were made. They have these gigantic stone fences, and of course, they haven't been used in about a 100 years. So what happens when a farm or a fence is not used or maintained? It starts to crumble. It grows in with weeds and thistles and thorns. It doesn't produce. Now, Smoky Mountain National Park is that way because they forced all the farmers to leave. But there are actually farms like that where the farmer kind of neglects their property. Little folding of the hands, little rest. You know, one of the things, uh, there's another verse, Proverbs 26, verse 14. It says this, as a door turns on its hinges... So does a sluggard turn on his bed. Again, this is, a, this is a really interesting word picture. It's like the guy's just flopping back and forth, never really gets going, just stuck on his bed like a door on a hinge. So the question is, how do we work? And the answer in Proverbs is with diligence. So yesterday I had this dilemma, okay? So it's my day off, it's Saturday, and I'm thinking I've got about 30 people coming over to the house on Sunday, so do I take a nap or do I cut the grass? And for those of you who are coming to my house, you're going to find out when you see it, okay? <laughs> the reality is God kind of decided that one for me. Uh, I started cutting the grass, and you'll see it's half done. So uh, the rain came in at some point there. Um, but this idea of how do you work with diligence, and is it wrong to ever take rest? Absolutely, it's not wrong to take rest. It's not wrong to take a nap. But what we're looking at here is the sluggard is a person who habitually neglects work, always is expecting someone else to do the work for them. And, you know, it's easy for us to be like, I know some sluggards. Um, But that's not the way Proverbs is pointing this out. Proverbs is asking you to say, do you have the heart and the mind of of a diligent worker or of a sluggard? So look at yourself. Proverbs 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So the overarching message of Proverbs is that we're called to go about our work with diligence. So again, what is diligence? This is that word that we don't really use. So here's what it is not. In the book of Proverbs, we see diligence is not just ceaseless toil, where you're just working 24 hours a day and never taking a break. Because again, God's wisdom encompasses all of God's word. And built into the lives of God's people from the beginning of the Old Testament is what we call Sabbath, a rest, a ceasing from your work. In fact, that goes all the way back to Genesis also. When God had finished all his work, it says he ceased from his work on the seventh day, and he looked at it and he saw that it was good. God himself rested from his work. So we know that ceaseless toil, this idea of just working harder and harder and harder, is not what we're talking about when we're talking about diligence. Diligence is something else. We also know it's not self-dependence. This idea of, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I'm going to make this work. No, 
Diligence is something else. You know, that idea is very common in our heads. It's common in our country uh, where we live. But it's not just depending on yourself and saying, if I work hard enough, then I'm going to do it. It's all going to work because of me. And then the other thing we have to remember is that diligence is not the only virtue. Okay? Sometimes I think we are led to believe that being a hard worker is the most important thing that can be true about you. Uh, I grew up on a farm. Um, hard work was part of it. And absolutely, we were taught you better work hard uh, in order to have any value at all. So there's, a, there's some truth there, but we have to make sure we don't overcompensate. See, d- diligence is important. Hard work is important, but it's not ultimate. That's not the most important thing about us. So what is diligence? Diligence, the definition we can use today is diligence is carefully and thoroughly completing a task. Carefully and thoroughly completing a task. And this is what's interesting. God's given each of us different tasks to do, like physical tasks. Even for somebody who can't get out of bed because they're sick, God's given you a task to do. And so whatever it is that God's called you to do, to carefully and thoroughly complete that task is what we would call diligence. That's what Proverbs calls us to do, is whatever God's given you to do, carefully and thoroughly carry it through to completion. That's wisdom. Recognizing that God's given you work to do, whatever it might be, and that changes throughout the seasons of your life. Carefully and thoroughly bring it to completion. When you look at that definition, some of you uh, who are like me, uh, you look at that first line, carefully and thoroughly. So you're a perfectionist, you're a little OCD, so absolutely, it's got to be careful and thoroughly, it's got to be done exactly right. Others of you are a little less perfectionist, and you just want to finish the job, okay? So you breeze through it. Either way, whichever side of the fence you're on, in fact, I think a lot of marriages, you have one person on either side of that fence. God says the main thing is to do your best work, to be careful and thorough, to finish the work that he gives us, to work on it diligently for all the days of your life. That's what Proverbs is talking about when it talks about diligence. Another thing about diligence is that it's looking ahead. It's planning uh, for the days ahead. Remember that story about the ant back in chapter 6? She's storing up for the winter, storing up for the times that are to come. So look ahead. And here's actually a major suggestion. I think this goes right along with that point. The idea of looking ahead, being aware of what's coming, is make sure you're working for the right boss. Make sure you're working for the right boss. And by that I don't mean necessarily your earthly boss. But think about what the New Testament says. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is interesting. I remember when I did landscaping back in Birmingham, it was always a dilemma here. Who am I working for with a particular customer? So I remember there was one husband and wife, and the wife would come out and tell me exactly how she wanted her shrubs pruned, how my crew was supposed to edge the walk, and what we were supposed to do and not do. And then her husband would come out after she went in the house and he would say, hey, I want you to do it this way. I want you to put mulch here. And, and it was oftentimes conflicting instructions. So which boss was I trying to please? I figured out who signed the check and that's the one I followed. 
But you got to make sure you're working for the right boss, remembering who it is that you're actually serving. Meaning, remember that ultimately in life, even in your job, wherever you work, your ultimate boss is not your earthly employer or the approval of people. I remember every time uh, I'd come home from college and then, uh, you know, we'd celebrate Christmas or whatever, and I'd be ready to go out the door. I'd give my dad a hug and he would always say the same thing. Remember what you're there for. That was his way of saying, remember that you're called to work hard on the right things. Work hard on the right things. Be diligent in the right things. Follow the right boss. Follow the right Savior. His name is Jesus. And then diligence has one other thing here is that it's joyful and willing, even in unpleasant circumstances. Uh, to be diligent is to be joyful and willing, even when things are hard. First Peter 2.18 Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. See, Scripture says over and over again, no matter what work you have, whatever task God's given you to do, do it willingly. Be diligent in it, even when it's unpleasant. And for some of you, uh, I know you find your work to be more of an obligation than a joy. And so the question is, I think a lot of times people will tell you, well, then you need to switch jobs. You need to get a different boss, a new place of employment. Maybe you do. Sometimes there's a place for that. But I would encourage you, don't think of that as the first thing you need to change. It's not necessarily time to switch jobs. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. The unpleasant circumstances that he had. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. He became the chief servant in, in his master's house. And then he was accused wrongly and thrown into jail. But in each circumstance that he was placed in, he kept a joyful perspective, remembering who he served. It was the Lord, and the Lord blessed him. Remember who you work for. Which brings us to when we think about this, how did Jesus work? How did Jesus work? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The fact that it says he sat down at the right hand of God means his work is complete. And you all know it was very unpleasant. And yet he diligently embraced the joy of serving the Father. Looking to Jesus. I actually think this is a big part of how we do our work, is look to Jesus Keep him in your sights as you work. Last question that we want to ask today is, what is the result of work? What is the result of work in the book of Proverbs? And the answer in Proverbs uh, in general is pretty simple. Success. Success. You might look at that and say, wait a minute, Marcus, I've been working my entire life, and maybe I'm even more bankrupt now than I was when I started. So what do you mean by success? Let me just read a couple verses from Proverbs here. Proverbs 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. You know what's interesting there is it's talking about the soul of that person, not just their uh, physical bodies. Proverbs 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Another one, Proverbs 22, verse 29. I don't have this one on the screen, but it says, Do you see a man who is skillful in his work? 
He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. In other words, when you are diligently working, God says, I will bring success to you. But we need to talk about what success is. Because the world will tell you that success is wealth, money, riches, fame, early retirement. That's what success is when it comes to work. But God tells us in the book of Proverbs that it's something else. Proverbs 23 verses 4 and 5 says this. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying away like an eagle toward heaven. Matthew 6, Jesus says the same thing. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, wealth is not the definition of success. So scripture tells us that success is something different. And what is that? Success is faithfulness. According to God's wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs, success is faithfulness. So you know there's a lot of people who toil their whole life. Maybe we don't see it as much in our community or in our in our uh, country necessarily. But people who are hungry, even though they're toiling as hard as they can. So does that mean they're unsuccessful? Not according to God's view of success. God says if you're faithful in your work, you are successful. Faithfully serving where God has put you. Faithful to work with diligence. You know, when we talk about wisdom, being faithful is success. Faithful to work with wisdom. Faithful to speak, as we looked at last week, with wisdom, your words. Faithful to be pure. Faithful to choose the right path. Success is faithfulness. And we also see that God says, if you truly know him, you will have the ability to rest, to rest in what God has provided. Proverbs nineteen twenty three: the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. See, we are satisfied ultimately by the Lord and what he provides. And that is a relationship with him. Yes, it's important, and yes, it's necessary to have physical work in order to survive. But God says, don't make that your main thing. I think it helps for us to look at what was the result of Jesus' work. Success. But not by earthly standards, right? He didn't grow rich because of the way he lived his life. But he did have success because his work is complete. He completed the task that God gave him. And as a result, he can offer rest to us. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, we cannot earn our way into a relationship with God. You can't earn it. It's only a gift through Jesus. Augustine, St. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So this morning, if you come here and you find yourself restless in this area of work, toiling and striving and trying to be good enough, trying to earn enough, trying to get enough, find your rest in Jesus. And if you find yourself toiling and trying to prove yourself like so many of us do, 
I have three words for you and three words for me. And they are this. It is finished. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to worship you this morning. God, thank you for the work of Jesus that we've celebrated in multiple ways. God, I pray that as we go from here, we would work for you with all our heart. Lord, provide for our families, provide for one another. Um, And God, just to be generous with those around us who have need. God, I thank you for your son who accomplished his work in such a perfect way. I pray that we would look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in his beautiful, matchless name that we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Now go and make disciples.